We're learning letter 22. And we're going to do something unusual tonight. Which is that we're going to have two conversations instead of one. Double header. And the reason for that is because in the Tanya, and it's not really clear why, letter 22 has two parts. Today we know historically that there are two different letters. They were written at two different times. And yet everything in the Tanya is exact. The Rebbe and his, the Rebbe's before him always taught us that you know, the, the, the division of the letters and the organized order of the letters, everything has a meaning. So if this particular letter has two components, so we're going to learn it together. You can call it 22A and 22B. So... Uh, that's what it's going to be, which allows for a little more variety of topic, where typically we end up only discussing one topic. Here we'll have a couple. And they're pretty interesting topics. One of them is going to be the question of the role that a Rebbe should play in his Chassid's lives. Specifically, should we turn to Rebbe's to solve our physical issues? Is it part of a Rebbe's job description to, when you, ha- when you get sick, to give you blessing, or when you're financially down, to bring a miracle? Or is it primarily a spiritual thing? And together with that, we're going to get a very interesting perspective on how we should look at problems in our lives. That's part A. Part B, more classic, and actually begins a series of letters, because 23, 24 are also going to be the subject of prayer, which is a beautiful thing and a break for us, because we've been hearing about tzedakah for a long time now. Many of the letters on tzedakah. Now we're going to get a couple of letters on prayer, and also a little Ahavat Yisrael. So here we go. There's a fundamental principle in Judaism that really began to see the light of day in the times of the Baal Shem Tov. It always existed. We have record of it throughout the Torah and throughout the Talmud. But it really became solidified and cemented as part and parcel of Judaism with the, with the rise of Hasidism. And that is the relationship between a follower and a tzaddik. A chassid and a rebbe is the way we call it today. But in times of old, it was simply called a righteous man and his followers. It was a basic belief that there are certain people, human beings, who achieve the most that a human being can achieve. And Hashem communicates directly with them. They're endowed with special powers. They have a unique level of holiness. And around them, when you hang around them, you feel closer to God. This is the way it's been since forever. Even before the Torah was given. Noah, Avraham, these were people that were considered tzaddikim in their time. You knew if you hung around them, you're going to get something divine. When the Baal Shem Tov founded the Hasidic movement, it became extremely highlighted. Because... The whole idea of Hasidism was to take Judaism and to transform it from a dry, robotic, mechanical religion to an inspired, emotional, joyful service of Hashem. And to do that, you really had to be close to somebody who was closer than you. Because otherwise it was very hard to manufacture it. So the Baal Shem Tov, in his time and with his students, this became widely accepted, the idea 
of a tzaddik having a group of followers around him, creating, let's call it a chasidut or a court. His followers would visit him, get their inspiration, go back and live their lives in, uh, in a more godly way. Part of that also seems to have developed throughout Jewish history is the idea that these tzaddikim, these righteous people, have the power to do miracles and transcend nature. And it makes sense. Part of being a godly being is that you can have godly faculties, which is like Hashem who made the rules of nature and can play around with them at will. The tzaddik is able to do that as well. This is in the Torah already. The tigzar omer v'yakamlach, the verse says, to righteous people, you will decree by your word and it will be fulfilled based on what you said. The Talmud says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gozer tzaddik mevatel. Hashem can make a decree and the tzaddik can nullify it. This is the way it's always worked. And again, with the Baal Shem Tov's founding of Hasidism, he felt that miracles also had to become part and parcel of a way a tzaddik should function because that literally brings Hashem into the world. If you go back in the earlier classes, in book two, in chapter five, we had a little conversation about this. That tzaddikim are walking, talking manifestations of godliness. And as part of this manifestation, they, they do miracles. Now, that's why there's so many incredible you know, stories of the Baal Shem Tov that are associated with miracles. He was, there's even like a descriptive term people use, a Baal Shem Tov way of behavior. When you see somebody who's acting in a transcendent way, you go, that's Baal Shemsky behavior. Because the Baal Shem Tov was like, that was his trademark. His trademark was, nature doesn't play a role, we do what we have to do, and if we have to violate rules of nature sometimes, that's what happens. And it became really, really integral to the continuity of Hasidut, where a tzaddik would display these miracles and bring more inspiration to his chassidim. Now, with the advent of the Chabad movement, two generations later, when the Alter Rebbe established Chabad Chassidut, since the whole idea of Chabad was, uh, the, was the intellect and the study versus the inspiration and the faith, so the Alter Rebbe amped down. Part of his philosophy was really toning down on the miracles. Not that he was incapable of it, there's even a, a written statement from, I believe it's his daughter or his granddaughter, one of the women in the Lubavitch dynasty household where they wrote that by us, miracles were rolling under the table and nobody had time to bend down and pick them up. Because they were all occupied with learning chassidut. In other words, miracles became secondary. And it, it matched very well with the Alter Rebbe's whole philosophy, which was a tzaddik, more than his job is to inspire people, his job is to teach them how to inspire themselves. That's a very deep change. Because it used to be that people literally relied on the tzaddik. They would come for the holiday, they get so much inspiration from him because his faith was so alive, you could watch him just dance with the Torah and walk away for, you know, with six months of fuel. But the Alter Rebbe said, that's not sustainable. What we have to do is we have to, we have to teach a philosophy in a way that people can adapt it themselves and create their own emotional connection with God. And that's why, ever since then, the Lubavitch um, signature was that the Rebbes communicated with their followers primarily through speeches. Farbrenians. The Rebbe, the current Rebbe, was out on display for thousands of hours, 
What was most of the time spent on? Not interactions, not dancing. It was simply talking Torah. He taught Torah. That was his main vehicle of communication. And the idea behind it is, I teach you and I give you the power to take that, to distill it, and to assimilate it into your own individual uh, way of serving Hashem. And it began with the Alter Rebbe. He would hold many discourses. He would come out and speak to the public. That was his big thing. Miracles took second place. There's even a story that happened later in the times of the Tzemach Tzedek where there was a chassid of his who complained that he had a fellow, a friend, who was a follower of a different rabbi, it was called Rabbi Chaim Chaikal of Hamdura, a big, 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 big tzaddik. And he told the Tzemach Tzedek that I watch this follower, my friend, when he davens, he's full of fire and passion and it looks so great. And me, I'm trying to like scratch out in my brain some kind of material to get me going and I, I, I barely get going. So the Tzemach Tzedek said, I believe it was Tzemach Tzedek, Alter Rebbe's grandson, he said, it's not him davening, it's his Rebbe davening. Which communicated right there the difference in philosophy. His Rebbe had given him enough inspiration to daven in that way, but it wasn't his own. When you get taught and then you make it yours and when you're self-made, there's a whole different value to that. Much more demanding, much more lasting though, much more real. Now, like everything, you start a new philosophy and that, that is the bar that you want to set. But it seems like that over time, Hasidim began to veer backwards. where they, were, they, they wanted to see more of the miracles. They wanted to get more of this godly, supernatural intervention. So, part of that was that the Alter Rebbe began to receive much more requests for physical help. Whereas in the beginning, they were approaching him to help them, help them with guidance and service of God. Now it was, I need to marry off my child, I need a miracle, I have somebody taking me to court, I need help, uh, I need to pay the rent, what's going on, Rebbe, help me. All those things. The day-to-day, the mundane. And the Alter Rebbe wrote this letter, 22, and the, the part that's printed in the Tanya is pretty toned down relative to the unprinted part that's since been printed in you know, other books. With Alter is really lashing out. He really expressed his frustration. And he, he calls it, I'm going to hide my love and expose my rebuke. So I'm going to tell you the way it is. I don't like it. He said, I, it's, not, it's not my job description. A Rebbe, any Jewish leader for that matter, is primarily meant to guide on the spiritual. He isn't meant to guide on the physical. That's not my, not my thing. And he says, show me, like he uses these words, find me a source, a record in Jewish history somewhere, find me in the sages of the, of the Talmud, the, the Tanaim, the Amoraim. Has anybody, any rabbi in Jewish history ever been treated this way where they become the ATM machine for solving physical things? The only time we have record of a Jewish leader being approached with a physical problem is prophets, the Nevi'im. Famously, Shaul HaMelech, way in the beginning, his father had some donkeys that he lost. That's how he met Shmuel HaNavi, who ultimately crowned him as the first Jewish king. The way they met was because he was called Shmuel HaRo'eh, Shmuel the seer, the prophet, 
And Shaul's father lost some donkeys. He told his son, go to Shmuel and ask him where his donkeys, ask him where my donkeys are. And he did, he guided him on the whole thing. So it's reserved for prophets. Ever since the prophet time ended, rabbis, that's just not what they do. And al says it kind of makes sense, you know, why, why this change happened, because we have a principle that there's nothing in the hands of heaven, nothing outside the hands of heaven besides for fear of heaven. So since fear of heaven, i.e. spiritual service of God, is the only thing that's within our jurisdiction, so the sages who live up to a higher standard of humanity can guide on that. Sure. But anything else, that's, that's beyond their pay grade. The Midrash says there are seven things that nobody knows. Seven things that remain a mystery to every single person in the world. One of them is when Mashiach comes. Nobody knows that. And one of them is how you're going to make a living. No man knows where their financial success is going to come from. And it puts it on the same line as Mashiach coming. So nobody knows when Mashiach is coming. Nobody knows how you're going to make a, you know, how you're going to make a profit in your business. So no sage can give you advice on that. A prophet, a nivuah, we learned a couple of weeks ago, is the idea of, of ri'iyah, of seeing. A prophet can see certain things. That's how he gets access to the physical riddles in the world, because he can see. But if you're not a prophet, you don't have the capacity of sight, so that's it, it's out of your, it's out of your window. So that's what the Alter Rebbe says, Bottom line, I don't want to be approached for physical issues anymore. It's just not, it's not part of what, what my thing is. That's his technical point. And then the letter turns theological. And this is a beautiful piece from the Alter Rebbe here. He says, I'll tell you what I think. You guys come running to me to solve your physical problems because you're facing them. Something's come up in your life where you're agitated. Health, children, financial, the basics. He says, I think, and al was sharp with his followers, he, he, he knew how to not mince any word, told them things the way it is. He says, if you come to me running to get help before you do introspective work on your issues, I think that demonstrates a lack of faith in God. I think it's like you telling Hashem that he doesn't know what he's doing. There was a great story with the, the Alter Rebbe himself, actually. Once overheard, two of, his, uh, two of his, his contemporaries, students of the Magid, and they were talking about how would they run the world if they were God? What would you do if you were God? So one student said, if I were God, I would be the most exacting, strict, givura type of man. I'd be merciless, ruthless. No room for error. You move out of the line. You're out. Done. Hold the line to the highest level. Second contemporary said, if I were Hashem, I would adopt the opposite extreme. Super forgiving, super kind, super generous. Chesed. All the way. Always finding the benefit of the doubt. You did a sin. No big deal. Help you correct it. All good. Then they both turned to the Alter Rebbe and they said, and if you were God, what would you do? What would you do? He said, if I were God, I would do exactly what God is doing right now. <laughs> Hashem made the world. He knows how, how to wire it best. Every one of us, it's, it's no secret, every one of us has a destiny that's prepared for us by Hashem. The script is written. 
When something gets thrown at you, you get a curveball in life. When you just, you, when, you're, when your reflex, when your knee-jerk reaction is to run away and get help, the Alter Rebbe says, that's like turning your back on Hashem. It's like, imagine you had a father. Maybe it's not so PC nowadays, but here's how the Rebbe describes it. If you had a father who was merciful, kind, generous, righteous, only good intentions, so you know that every decision he makes comes not out of ego or of anger or of trauma or of anxiety, none of that. It's a wholesome personality. And he chooses to take his son one day, show him some criticism, honesty, and give him a slap. The son, in reaction, shouldn't run away or run to find somebody who can help and stand between them and get him back in his father's good graces. You should take it. Accept it with love. Your father only means well. He only has your best intentions in mind. We're not talking about today's abusive parents. Okay, that's a separate thing. That's coming from the wrong place. But if it was a truly wholesome father, you don't only want fluff in your relationship. You want a moment of honesty. You want a moment of criticism. And when it comes, you should take it with love, with appreciation that it's only for the good. So the Alter Rebbe says, let's take this and translate it mystically. Let's translate this mystically. We know in, in Kabbalah there's face and, and back. Panim va'achor. God has no face and no back. Of course it's not physical. The idea is when you, when you, when you face somebody, uh, they can see your features, they can see your reactions, they can see... A, a lot is written about, about a person on his face. It, it communicates interest, desire, connection. Back is plain, which means lack of interest. When you want to be in a relationship with somebody, you face them, eye contact. When you're not interested, you just you know, throw it over your shoulder. That's the, the Zohar's metaphor. You throw it over your shoulder. Sometimes you have to give. You have to pay the bank, the mortgage. You're not so interested. Take it. You don't want to look at the guy. So face and back represents Closeness, interest, distance, or lack of interest. Hashem in the Torah is, is, is described as facing us. Panim de panim. He communicates with us face to face. Ya'er Hashem panavelecha. We say in the famous Birkat Kohanim, God should shine his face. Or we say in davening, or panecha, you know, with the light of your face, you gave us the Torah. God wants a face to face relationship with us. Part of this face to face relationship sometimes comes with a hard blow. If your reaction is to run away from the blow and come running to the Rebbe, save me, save me, without a pause for reflection, the Rebbe says, I'm going to tell you the way it is. That is turning your back to God. What you may need to do and what you might want to think about, says the Rebbe, which might give you some inspiration, is imagine a king who out of his love for his child when his son gets dirty in the sandbox, will go in all his royalty and clean his son, the dirt off his face. And the mud might be caked on, so I'll have to scratch a little. And it may hurt. But out of love, the king wants to wash away the dirt. There are some dirt that has accumulated on your soul, says the altar, perhaps. Some things which need fixing. Take a moment. 
Don't rush, don't, don't, don't rush to the Rebbe. See if you can come up with something, some reason, some justification for what you're going through. And perhaps that's Hashem washing the mud off your face. That's His way of doing it. The Torah says, Et Hashem God only rebukes he who he loves. If you're finding God playing hardball with you, chances are it's an expression of love. And maybe that's God's message to you right now. His message to you is, because Dalteb writes that his son of his Hasidim would say, well, I'm just trying to serve God. His stomach aches just getting in the way. The reason I'm coming is not to escape from the bad, it's because it's, it's, it's a higher purpose. I really want to get close to Hashem. This issue is getting in my way. Dalteb says, maybe it's the issue that God wants you to face. It's a great story that I heard from one of my Tanya teachers with, um, I believe it was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, also an early Hasidic master. And one of his Hasidim came to him before Rosh Hashanah, and he said, you know, you, you teach us, and it's taught in the holy books, that on Rosh Hashanah the fate of every Jew financially is decided for the year. Now, clearly God doesn't have great decisions in store for me, because I know how my, life, my livelihood works. I obviously get allotted, you know, a very small sum in the beginning of the year, but I also have to, like, nudge myself to eke it out every day and, and, and go and negotiate and get deals and pay rent and till I kratzois, that's the way you say it in Yiddish, you know, till you, till you get the, uh, the money that I, that I deserve, it also takes tons of struggle. So here's my request for you, Rebbe. I'm not asking you to intercede on my behalf to get me more money. Just let me get one big payout at the beginning of the year. Whatever I'm going to get, just put it in my bank account and that's it. And you know what? I'll learn Torah better all day, all year. I'll daven. I'll do everything right. This way, Hashem giving me anyway the same $100,000, right? So this way, I get disturbed every day. I, I can't focus. I can't do anything. And at the end of the year, I come out with the same hundred k So give me the hundred k Motzei Rosh Hashanah. And I promise I will serve God perfectly the rest of the year. So the Rebbe Barditchev said to him, very powerful words. He says, who says that God wants your Torah study and your davening. Maybe He wants your struggle. You, you wrote your own version of history. Hashem wants me to serve Him this way, so give me more money now and I'll serve Him better later. No, from you, Hashem wants the struggle. I think it's a very, um, just if I can jump out of the letter for a minute. I don't usually do this, but I think it's a great lesson. First of all, we should never justify somebody else's pain. I just want to say that, right? Never, never go and say, oh, they deserve what they're getting because they did some things. It's, all, it's, it's an introspective exercise. Just look into yourself to see what you need fixing. But it's a great response that I think is the hallmark of Judaism for response to issues. You know, we find in the Torah, the, who was the first person to face a challenge was Adam. Right in the beginning of creation. Step day one. Adam faces the challenge of his life, ultimately, which would become not to eat from the tree of knowledge. The moment he's discovered, the moment he's exposed, what does he do? He plays the blame game. Right? My wife did it. Never blame your wife. That never turns out good, you know, especially when it comes to food. My wife did it. And then Chava did the same thing. The snake did it. When confronted with the negativity, you shift it. Adam wasn't Jewish. Adam had a neshama created by God, great, the greatest of the great. 
but he wasn't a Jew. The first Jew to directly face challenge. And the Torah describes that as a challenge, as Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov wrestled. The word in the Torah is actually the fight. Well, Abraham faced many challenges in his life, and I'm sure you can find the following message in, his, in, the, in the verses as well. But there's a very clear message in the verses by Yaakov. When he wrestles with the angel, Yisrael, that's when his name is changed. There's a captivating verse at the end of the story where the angel says, let me go. And Yaakov says, Lo chacha, I'm not going to send you away ki unless you bless me. And the ethical masters translate that verse very deeply. I refuse, says Yaakov, I refuse to let a challenge go till I discover the blessing within it. We fought all night, and I said, let me go. Let me out of your consciousness. You go through a trauma, and then it just wants to fly away. The Jewish attitude is not to shift, not to move it away. You know why I'm this way? Because my parents were this way. You know why I'm this way? Because my teacher hit me in school. Yaakov's attitude is, I'm going to find the blessing in the pain. And I won't let it go. I will not let go of the angel of wrestling. I will not let go of the challenges in my life until I find the bracha. Until I make it, until I transform it into a good, into a good force. So the Altar Rebbe, I think, is saying the same message here to his chassidim. You're running to me to get rid of the pain, when in fact your journey may be to go through this pain. So, number one, it's not part of the Rebbe's job description. Number two, and deeper message, for your own success, for your own growth as a chassid, you need to appreciate that Hashem is sending you a message here. You do the introspective work, you repair what needs repair, then we can talk about other things. Next step. But first, look inward. The Rebbe says at the end, you know, with this attitude, Hopefully Hashem will transform his hidden love to his revealed love. Make it all come, come good in a revealed way. But here, for the purposes of his chassidim, he was telling them, the bottom line is, don't run to me to solve your problems. Look inward first. I want to just make two reflections before we go on to the second part of the letter, which is much shorter. Number one is, the fact of the matter remains that even after writing this letter, the Alter Rebbe kept guiding his chassidim on physical issues. And he kept on doing miracles for some of them. And he kept on, he kept it up. So number one, that indicates that the Alter Rebbe had a prophetic quality. Because he says the only people who do this is the prophets, right? The Nevi'im. So he must have been imbued with something prophetic. But how do we explain it? How do you write a letter saying, don't come to me, with physical problems, look inward and then you keep on doing it. I'm not sure I have the answer, but there's a great metaphor that I once heard. Um, you know how the Tanya we learn throughout the year. Right? We do our own system, one chapter a week, but there's a daily Tanya study where you go through it in a year. This letter is always studied during Sukkot. That's the time it comes out. So... Once on Sukkot, we heard this metaphor from one of the Hasidim who was from bringing with us and he was trying to explain to us the message here. He said there was a guy who was a lumber merchant. And every year he would travel to a nearby city to get his lumber from a friend, a close friend that he knew for many years. 
and he would make a huge purchase, come back and sell it at a profit. That was his business. Anyway, one year, he comes, loads up with lumber, and then he's about to head out uh, back to his trip, but he realizes that his wagon wheels are not greased up. Because the wood against the wood would get very dry, and so he needed to grease it. So he tells his friends, listen, I'm, I'm about to head out. I'm, I, don't have, I don't have enough grease. You think I can borrow some grease? I said, sure. Between friends, what's, about, you know, what's the thing of grease? Gives him a barrel of grease, greases the wheels. He's on his way. 24 hours into his trip, he's in the forest. He sees a wagon stuck, another wagon. Pulls over, says, what's going on? The guy says, listen, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm traveling and I'm missing grease on my wheels. I can barely move. Every move, my horses are dragging the wagon. And he says, listen, there's hope. I have a friend in the next city. I know he has some extra grease. Go there, and uh, he'll give you some. The guy says, sure. He goes, inching through, going, trudging, makes it to the house, knocks on the door. The guy opens, he says, are you Chaim? He says, yes. Uh, I heard you have grease. Can I have some? The guy says, oh, oh, oh. Give me a little story. Who are you? What happened? He says, such and such. I met the guy in the forest. And he said, you have grease. I said, oh, Moshe. Moshe is my good friend. We do business together. He buys my lumber. At the end of a long trip, he also wants some grease. I'm happy to give him some grease. I don't know you. We're not in relationship. I give you also free grease. I'm not a grease ATM machine. That's where the metaphor ends. It doesn't say if he actually gave it to him in the end or not, if he was a nice Jew. His point was, this chassid is telling us on the sukkah, he says, the Alter Rebbe is happy to give out grease. What's physical blessings? Physical blessings is, is the least of a Jew's hierarchy. We're first and foremost souls, you know, spiritual beings happy to give out grease, but I'm not a grease machine. So if you come to the Alter Rebbe, and you have a spiritual relationship, and you work on your character, and you refine your service of God, and at the end of a long trip, you say, Alter Rebbe, can I also have some grease? I need a little money to marry off my daughter, this, and help. He's happy to provide those blessings. But don't turn him into a source for grease. That's not what, that's what the Alter was trying to say. He was trying to condition his chassidim, not so much that I'm forbidding anymore to ask me for physical blessings. But if that's what I become for you, then the whole thing is cheapened. And I become a grease ATM machine, which is no good. So that's what he tells us. Okay? Then he tells us, oh, but still, you have to ask the question. Because the Rebbe, as Chabad went on, our Rebbe, did miracles a dime a dozen, even for people that didn't want to have any relationship with him, that just wanted the grease. People used to come to the Rebbe, no commitment, no nothing, I want a miracle, I want children, I want this, I want that, and the Rebbe happily obliged. The Rebbe himself actually set a precedent for this. There's an interesting correspondence in 1932 between the Rebbe and his father-in-law about miracles. What role do miracles play in Hasidism nowadays? So the previous Rebbe played it down. He says miracles are too much, they're an accessory, they're an extra, we, we shouldn't do them. And the Rebbe says, I think in this day and age we have to do more miracles. Before he became Rebbe, this was 18 years before he became Rebbe, he was writing, it seems to me that the time requires, people need to see more Hashem in the world, people need to see more godliness. 
And the Rebbe lived it out. You know, it's tons of stories. You can read them today. They're all collected on you know, Gem, wonderful website and videos. You see these incredible miracles. So what, the Rebbe became a grease machine. So he said to us, it was his personal feeling, and I, it, it meant a lot to me at the time, and still does. He says, you know, the Rebbe is kind. In his kindness, he gives us grease for free. But he still leaves the choice to us. He says, what kind of a chassid do you want to be? What kind of a relationship do you want to have? Do you want to have the grease relationship? Or do you want to have a true relationship where the grease comes at a bonus? In the Alter Rebbe's times, Alter Rebbe could demand from his chassidim, be this way, don't be this way. Today, the generations are lower. The souls are lower. The Rebbe provides those, those miracles that we need. But now the question is in our court. Do we want to just take advantage of the system? Or do we want to be more true to our inner selves, do the work that we have to do, and then reap the blessings? And he left it out a question, and I think it's a good question to leave with, because, you know, it, it, it allows us to be reflective. Hashem is the same way. We could look at him as a grease machine, or we could look at him as God, where the reward for the relationship is the relationship itself. And we don't want more, we don't need more. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. That's how we should look at it. That's the Alter Rebbe's message, that's the Rebbe's message. And that's, that's the closer of this first part of the letter. Let's take another five minutes for part two of this letter. 22b. Different topic. Some want to explain it's kind of connected, but on the surface it's really a different conversation. Apparently, and I'm not sure all the historical details about this, but one of the issues that the early opposers of Hasidism took to Hasidim was that they were davening louder than, the, than, than was customary. When they would pray, it was more audible, more pronounced. There's a mystical reason for that. The Rebbe once explained it, that when you're asking for something reasonable, you use a reasonable tone. When you're asking for something unreasonable, you sometimes use a more unreasonable tone. So in days of old, people knew that they deserved what they were asking from Hashem, so they could afford to daven in a regular tone. Today, we're asking for such extreme kindness from Hashem that it should be expressed also in the sound. A little bit of a higher, more intense pitch. Because it communicates that what we're asking for is to Hashem to go beyond His limitations. Anyway, it seems like the Hasidim were encountering some, some opposition to it. And the Alter Rebbe spends these couple of lines encouraging his Hasidim to stick to their guns. He says, I have no time on my hands. I'm so busy with so many things, but I want to take these couple of lines to write to you to stay strong in your custom. Don't let anybody who mocks it or opposes it get to you. Use, he says, use Yad Chazaka. If you have to, use a strong hand. And it doesn't mean physically. He translates right away. Strong hand means the Jewish trademark of stubbornness. We're known for being super stubborn. In fact, Hashem called us that. It's a very funny conversation in the Torah that the addresses. Hashem told Moshe, I'm going to destroy this nation because they're stubborn. Stiff-necked. Am keshe oref. You read the Torah. What is Moshe's response? 
Literally. He says, Ki am hu Because they're stubborn, forgive them. So Hashem said, I'm going to destroy them because they're stubborn. Moshe says, forgive them because they're stubborn. And the answer is that that's exactly the point. Hashem said, they're so stiff-necked. I'm done. And Moshe said, this stiff-neckedness, this stubbornness is their power to, to go beyond reason. And they will go beyond reason for you. If you forgive them, told Hashem, these are going to be devoted to you like no other. So since then, it's a Jewish stand. It's our brand. Stubborn. And every, every one of us has met that stubborn Jew, and every one of us has been that stubborn Jew at one point or another in our lives. So the Altar Rebbe says, if every Jew has stubbornness ingrained within him, you can use, you can access this stubbornness when it comes to doing things that are beyond logic. When you use your mind, you serve Hashem in a logical way. When you use your, your ratzon, your willpower, your akshanut, you can do things that are beyond logic. Like praying a little louder than is customary because you know that's the right thing for you. On the flip side, the Altar Rebbe says, I want to just be clear. Do not allow your decision to influence the way you feel about the other people. And he demands a very high level of Ahavat Yisrael in this letter. He says, do what you got to do and stop judging people for what they're doing. Judgment is God's work, not yours. Stop reading everything you want into other people's intentions. They're going to do what they're going to do. You do what you do. It's a high level because typically in Avat Yisrael we say behave towards another person kindly, maybe even feel towards another person kindly, but no judging, no negative emotions to arouse in your heart about the way that they're acting, that's tough. And by the way, as an aside, it doesn't mean to be a fool, right? If you know somebody's not trustworthy, you don't trust them, but you don't hate them. Don't allow the, the, the practical mistrust to translate into feelings of, of negativity. The Alter Rebbe says, the, Torah, the verse says, Kol Yisrael ki chaverim. All Jews are friends. The word chaver in Hebrew also means chibur, connection. We're all connected. We're all one body. In every, in, in, in every person, there's something that's better than the other. Kol echad mitukan Everyone is more fixed than the other. The Rebbe's father-in-law writes that line in the Tanya could also be read as Kol echad mitukan Everyone can achieve a fixing, a correction from another friend. You can find something in somebody else that you can learn from. So he says, do not discard another person just because you think his intentions were wrong. Maybe they were. Not your place to judge. After he goes on even extremely, he says, Lashon hara, we know, speaking evil about somebody is equal to the three cardinal sins in the Torah. Idol worship, immorality, and murder. And the Alter Rebbe says, if speaking can accomplish that, thought, negative thoughts, how much more so? He says, according to Kabbalah, thought has a greater power than speech. Today we know this psychologically, actually. The more you harbor ill feelings towards somebody, it actually hurts you more than it ends up hurting the other. They may not even be aware like what you're feeling towards them, but you stick with the grudge, and you hold it, and it festers, and it becomes this whole negative thing that ends up damaging you. Release. Let go. It'll make you pure. 
And then the Alter Rebbe says, you know, Hashem, who blessed his nation with peace, will bless us with peace too. If we can show Hashem that we're ready to go over and above to create peace between others. They're mocking us for our customs. First of all, we stick to our guns and we also don't read negativity into them. We increase the peace. So Hashem will also increase the peace. And in fact, the peace will allow you to serve Hashem better. So through Achdut, your prayer will go better. You're trying to pray loudly with a proper prayer. You have more Avat Yisrael, you'll have a better prayer. That's why the Arizal writes, every day before davening, we should say, Hareini Mekabel, I accept upon myself the love of a fellow Jew. Why? Because when you unite with all the other Jews, your prayer goes better. That's the takeaway for tonight. A Rebbe's job description is not so much physical as it is spiritual. When we get a curveball in life, look inward instead of outward. If we have a custom that we know is right, stick to it. But just because someone's making fun doesn't mean they're out to get us. Instead, give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them noble intentions. Increase the peace, and Hashem will increase the peace in your life. L'chaim. 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 L'chaim.